Is everybody happy? Well, my name is Chad, and I am honored to welcome you again to Cornerstone Church. Sorry, sometimes I staple my notes, and that's not helpful when you try to turn the page. Well, if you've been with us for a couple weeks, we've been working our way through a just a dynamite passage. If you have your Bible or your smartphone or... Um, really want you to just open up your scripture because we're going to hang out here this morning and we we've been our advent series has been grace appearing and what happens when grace appears what happens when grace shows up and the answer the church says throughout the ages is everything changes when grace shows up everything changes because grace is always attached to God's enabling, empowering, pardoning presence. So whether you need pardon or forgiveness, grace. Whether you need help to overcome who you used to be before grace showed up or you realized grace was in your life, you need grace. Whenever you got someone, instead of ripping their head off, you need to actually practice the Jesus way of non-retaliatory love, you need Grace. When someone strikes you on the right cheek and instead of getting even and swinging back, you turn the other, you need grace. When your wife doesn't realize, I'm just kidding, let's leave that one alone. Uh, let's go over here. You need grace for that one. And so we've been just talking about the various dynamics of this grace. Now, grace didn't get invented when Jesus came. When God told Moses his name, and by the way, Moses was the humblest man on the face of the earth until Jesus, Numbers 12.3. When, when God told Moses his name, his full of compassion and mercy and kindness and love, and those are all ways to describe grace. God has grace in his guts. That's theologically true. That's who he is. Every time he shows up in the room, he's doing things for us that we don't deserve. Every time we choose to worship and serve that which we create and make in our own image, grace shows up and helps take our chin and says, no, you're not aiming high enough. Those things are, that I've given you, those things that are good in and of themselves, I gave those so that you'd, they'd be springboards for worship. Grace. And what we've been talking about is grace is not just a theory or a, a sliver of Christian doctrine, grace is revealed in and through the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks for Christmas Eve, so I don't want to go there. I want to go to Titus chapter 2. Week 1 of our series, we talked about the grace that saves us. Last week, Katie knocked it out of the park and talked about the grace that trains us. 
I think I'm going to combine number three and number four. The grace that we find in the waiting. Everyone say waiting. And then the grace that forms us to do good work. Or like I like to say, grace that works. We're going to address those today. It says this in Titus 2, verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared. And what I did in my notes, I've had a lot of time on my hands this week. If you want to know why, I'll tell you. You can come ask me in person. Those are laughing at me if they know. But I've had a lot of time. And what I did as a fun exercise in this one passage, Titus 2, beside every descriptor, I put either past, present, or future. I love this passage because you're just covered. Past, present, future. And so as I'm reading this out loud, just make mental note or grab your notebook or your iPhone or whatever you do to take notes so you can chew on the word in the week. I, ch I challenge you to think of the tense, past, present, future. So again, for the grace of God has appeared past in history through Jesus that offers present. We all said amen. amen. We serve a God that's currently offering why has Jesus Christ not returned the second time? Surely because of his mercy. He wants more in his family. There's grace that's being offered presently. You and I are literal recipients, whether we know it or not, of God's enabling, empowering presence right now. It's constantly offering salvation to all people. Who's it for? Select few. Those who deserve it. All people. It teaches present. Oh, even though we don't always listen to the teacher. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live, present tense, upright, self controlled, godly lives. Someday when we feel like letting God's sanctifying work do its thing. Wait. In this present age. Grace is at work forming us into a new kind of people. Present tense. While we wait. Has anyone had that experience of waiting? <sighs> Your call will be answered in the time it was received. Did you notice that there are new features now? If you choose not to wait, just type your phone number in and hit star and we'll call you. Grace at work. <laughs> My arm gets tired. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Future. Past, present, future. Who gave himself, past, for us to redeem us from most of our bad habits 
all of our wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, present, and future. So what I'd like to say today is you're surrounded by grace. Past, present, future. I like to say this. Some people think that God's after them to get them. And I like to say, amen. But not in the way you think. Not in the, like this bad, grumpy mood because dad had too much to drink and is in a bad attitude and he's out to get you. But the out to get you to save you. The out to get you to perpetually invite you into life. This is what the Bible means by salvation, wholeness, not just some destination you go someday when you die. He wants to save you right now. Right now, he wants to save you, to heal you, to restore you. While we wait for the blessed hope, for the second, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Admittedly, if we are honest, we are generally not good waiters. Can I get an amen? amen. You can even get your groceries online now. I don't have time for those lines. But throughout history, because of what Jesus has done for us in the past, because of what his presence and grace is teaching and training and forming us to be and become in the present, because he who began a good work has promised to complete it at the end of the age, brothers and sisters throughout the world have learned that it's in the waiting he's forming us to be kind, become the kind of people that he can turn over new creation to. And say, my intention all along was to have people who, be, through transformed character and learning to live my life through my spirit and my grace and my power, that I could give the keys of the kingdom to, if you will, and I could trust that they would be about my business in the world. Did you know that waiting is not wasted? I read a book that I so highly recommend. Like, it's one of those that you're like, I want to buy a case and give it to everybody. I just read a book by John Ortberg called Eternity is Now in Session. I hope someone's writing that down. You need to read it. I want to read it again. And the premise of eternity, very, very readable. You read it in three days, two days. The premise is, if our perspective is right, 
toward grace, towards God, towards His purposes and plans, the people we're becoming now through His grace will continue to become the people we are on into the age to come. In other words, the work of redemption, the work of sanctification and cleansing and consecration, the work of His adopting, you know, redeeming love, it's not like when Jesus appears the second time, he's like, oh, all of that was insufficient here. No, he builds on what he's doing in us. Are you tracking with me? And that's why I love C.S. Lewis when he paints the picture of the return of Christ and when every person stands before judgment. All God is going to have to say to those people is, your will be done or my will be done. The kind of people we're becoming in the waiting, the kind of people as we submit to God's presence, as we learn to say no to the right things and say yes to God's things, that formation, sanctifying, transforming work, He continues to work on us until He comes and completes it. So what do we do while we wait? By nature... Whenever we have to wait, we get distracted. Am I talking to anybody today? <laughs> when Jesus lays out the reality of his return and the fact that don't listen to anyone who tries to give you the proper formula and guess a date, it gives all of us Christians a bad name when another book comes out that says he's coming in such and such day. Do you hear me? Or when people take billboards and they say on three days when this moon and this alignment and this... I'm not saying don't do your best to discern the times. Did you hear me? Say yes, Pastor Chad. But even Jesus, the Son of God, says only the Father knows. So unless you're closer to God, the Father, than Jesus... But Jesus seems to tell us that in the waiting between the Advents, His first coming and His second coming that many of us will get weighed down in the waiting by the ways of this world. In fact, it says in, in, in Luke 17, and then it says later in Luke 21, that be careful or that day when He appears, it will come like a thief. It will come quickly. And if you're not careful in the waiting and you don't allow grace to continue to do its work, to transform you and enable you to become the people that Jesus Christ died and rose and poured out His Spirit so that you could become... But in the waiting, many times if we grow impatient or we take our gaze and focus off the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can start looking at other things. And before we know it, those other things can literally weigh us down in the waiting. That's the Bible. I believe that by default, apart from allowing grace to do its work and then going after God with the, the, the tenacity that He's come after us, that if we don't, in the waiting, keep that posture of, my eyes are on you. I'm pursuing you, Lord, because you pursued me. That by default, Jesus seems to be indicating in the waiting we will get weighed down by the lust of the flesh or by what this is promising us. Or Am I talking to anyone today? Anyone been distracted in the waiting besides me? But this idea of waiting, if you go to the original language that the missionary, church-planting, crazy Jesus man Paul wrote, the idea of while we wait is on the balls of our feet. I can't wait to see him. 
Everyone get on the balls of your feet, just right where you're sitting. While we wait. While we wait. What do we do while we wait? We worship. We practice the way of Jesus in the waiting because that is the way that we will operate for all eternity. It's in session now. But we wait for the blessed hope. Did you know what our Christian hope is? Again, I've had a lot of time on my hands. I'm overly hopeful today because <laughs> I've had a chance to read and study and I'm Did you know our Christian hope is amazing? Did you know that Jesus will come and he will, he will overthrow every kingdom and empire that's bent on death and violence and oppression and manipulation and bent on destruction? Did you know Jesus Christ will overthrow every one of those? Not through some massive army that have learned the warfare tactics of this age, but there's a sword that comes from his mouth. And just a word in all of darkness shudders and is thrown into the abyss. A word. Did you know that the dead in Christ will be raised and we're going to get brand new bodies? <laughs> some of you should be saying amen louder. I'm saying amen. That did you know that Jesus Christ will come and he will remake and restore God's original intention towards humanity and towards his world? Did you know that in the age to come, the lamb and who Jesus is and his self-emptying, sacrificial, others-oriented love displayed on the cross, that the light that beams from his face will be the light that touches all of the new creation. We'll just see it unbridled, unmediated. Just. Did you know that our Christian hope is what he's begun in us? However much you feel like you're a work in progress, that he actually will finish that stinking work. <laughs> Did you know that God's space, which the Bible calls heaven, and humanity's space, which the Bible calls earth, will forever be united? This is our Christian hope. And do you know that because Jesus has been raised, the Bible calls him over and over and over and over and over and over. The first fruits of that which will be true of all of those who place their allegiance and trust in Jesus as Lord and King. So what God has done in Jesus by raising him from the dead, he will raise us with him at the end of the age. He will overthrow all that causes the little ones to stumble. He will wipe away every tear from our face. He will say no more to death and darkness and disease and decay. 
this is our Christian hope. That's not a bad hope. I don't think it's that bad. What else do we do while we wait between the advents, between his first coming and second coming? We realize that we are not our own. And in a culture obsessed with self, we need to hear the good news week in and week out that you are not your own. You belong to God. Why is that good news? Because most of us can spend our whole lives seeking belonging, acceptance, validation, approval. But to realize you already have all of that from God through Jesus Christ sets you free from wasting your life. <laughs> you can spend your whole life, I'm trying to, when you already realize there's one who's claimed you as his own, God. And through Jesus, he's paid for your life. You're no longer a slave to your appetites. You're no longer a slave to the lusts and the whims and wishes of your flesh or your mental capacity that's been darkened through deception. He has provided a way of escape so that you can start participating in life right now. This is good news, beloved. Grace is stronger than what sin has unleashed on creation. It's stronger than death. It's stronger than, well, I just can't help it. Uh, she's beautiful. I just can't help it. The, the, the drink is too strong. I just can't help it. No, God in Christ has provided a way out of being a slave to that which destroys our life. And he said, follow me. I want to give you life. It's called salvation. And increasingly, God's grace is trying to train and teach us to say no, yeah, do a few things so that you can say yes to get on living and experienced life that God always intended. What do we do while we wait? We wait because of our blessed hope. Because God will come again. Christ will return. This time not to be the sacrificial lamb that bears our sins, but to be the conquering king, bringing salvation to all who long for his appearing. It's good news. And then lastly, this is my last point. Look at that last phrase, eager to do what is good. What do you think that means? What do you think that means, family? What else? Don't be shy. What does it mean to be eager to do good? Serve the Lord. What else? Huh? 
be free from sin, what else? Be obedient. Yeah. What about working faithfully in your nine to five? Is that included in do a good work? <laughs> there has been so much damage done post-Reformation, and I understand usually when we're reacting about, you know, being able to buy your salvation, indulgences and all the like, there's usually a reaction. And how many know when we, when we react, sometimes it's like the pendulum swings too far to the other side? Am I talking to anyone today? Like, when we react. <laughs> there has been a dialectic relationship between grace and work. And God in His mercy is correcting that. Amen? We do not save ourselves because we are good. We are saved because of His mercy. Right? You just flip the page over in your Bible to Titus 3, 3 through 7, where he's all, you were enslaved, disobedient, deceived, foolish. Thanks, you got me covered. And then the Bible says that salvation saves us from all of that. Foolishness, deception, enslavement, and disobedient. Hallelujah. Amen. But he says... Because he doesn't want these Cretans on this little obscure island off the shores of Greece, these ex-pagans who are really good at lying, lust, and laziness. That's, t that's the Crete. That's the island that this guy's writing to. Lust, lies, and laziness. Do you know anybody that... Don't say it. Don't say it. You, at one time, before Jesus transformed your life, you were disobedient, deceived, enslaved, and foolish. Thank you, Paul. But then he chose to save you, not because of anything you did. And he, he says, because God is merciful. Come on, someone needs to hear that. So I'm not saved because I'm good. I'm saved because he's merciful. But because he's merciful and his grace is so powerful, when he saves me, he saves me for a brand new life filled with goodness. Are you tracking with me? So I don't do good things so that he'll like me or love me. I acknowledge that I am foolish, deceived, disobedient, and enslaved to sin apart from God. But because of his great love for us, Ephesians 2, 4, God who is Plutos, he's rich in mercy. He's got like billions of dollars of mercy stored up. Infinity dollars, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> because he is rich in mercy, he makes us alive. He saves us, guys. This is good news. But he saves us so that we can spend the rest of our breaths doing good stuff. Oh, I don't want grace and works. I don't. Baloney. That dichotomy does not exist in the Bible. You're not saved because you're good. You're saved because he's merciful, but he saves you to live a brand new life. Amen? I save you. I'm training you in this current present age to now, instead of using yourself, you know, you gave yourselves over to sensuality and lust and continual greed for more. Read Ephesians 4, 17 and onward. 
He says, instead of offering yourself to all of those things that deteriorate your sense of self and value and they hurt those around you and they, they further the agenda of the enemy who only wants to still kill, till, still, still kill and destroy, why don't you offer yourself now as to God who claimed you because he died for you, and so it's a good offer, <laughs> and why don't you learn for the rest of your days to become an instrument of righteousness? In other words, for those things that are wrong and cracked and broken with the creation, God wants to use your life and then send you out and to wield you as an instrument of righteousness or to put things that are broken back together. That's what we're saved for, to become instruments, tools in his hand who can do good things. And one of those good things is by just doing good work. Did you know that your nine to five matters to God? Did you know that even Jesus, as Katie shared, and they spent 30 years in obscurity just working? Like if I'm God and I'm hanging out in eternity with God, Father, Son, Spirit, and I'm all, here's our plan. 30 years of obscurity, working, three years of ministry. If this does not scream to us what we do in the waiting, what we do as an image bearer, what we do in creating and shaping life and commerce and economy and work, if that doesn't scream that matters to God, I don't know what does. It matters. In fact, Titus, I was reading it seven times. Uh, Gordon Fee, who's one of the great commentators and brilliant scholars, he says the whole point of Titus is because of what grace does in people who follow Jesus, their whole life now is supposed to be just given over to doing good stuff. It's seven times. I wrote it this morning. Seven times there's commands, do good stuff, be devoted to goodness, be, do good work. And why, beloved? How many know, I think in the church, we are in the best day possible we could ever be in. Because back in like 60s and 70s and maybe before, we, you know, we had to do all these big, attractive, amazing services and, you know, we tried to get people to come to church. I think we're back to like New Testament era where if we'll just allow the grace of God to touch us and transform us from our hearts to our literal homes to our places of work and we'll just seek to glorify and honor God and we'll be quick to give Him glory and testify that it's Jesus who's done it in us and through us. Did you know this is about the most attractive thing going? Well, I mean, we... We don't have to try as hard to go get them. It's pretty clear culturally many are not interested in what we're offering. But you know it's irresistible. People who are just bent on goodness no matter who, what's in it for them. I just want to give myself to be an instrument that God can wield. That that which is broken in my family, in my workplace, in my city. I want to be an instrument that God can just use as he sees fit. Because he put my world back together again so he can send me into the world to put it back together again. We're tools. We're instruments. How many know culture has a jacked up view of work? Because you are what you earn. He needs a whole army to be sent into the workforce that realize I am not what I earn. I am his. Everything is a gift to him. He needs, in a culture that's bent on, you know, you, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah. 
It's all about you. He needs to send an army of people who are in covenant together who say, actually, it's not. My life is found the more I give it away because life is found in serving. God wants to raise up an entire army who aren't like John Mayer's great song, waiting on the world to change. He's waiting on people to allow grace to change their world, their inner world, and their relationships and their work. And this is why every one of Paul's letters always has a household section, if you notice it. I've loved Paul's letters since I was a 16-year-old boy. But every one of them, he talks about what Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then he gets into, this is what it means for the church. And now the gospel's for everybody. And then he's all, and this is how it should work in the home. Has anyone found that's weird? Why? Because if it's not demonstrable or manifest in our everyday wearing pajama pants, drinking coffee in the morning, it's not the gospel. This little letter, which I almost wanted to do this for my sermon, but I'm always afraid, I don't know why, of doing what I want to try, because it's a little freaky, because you have to read your Bible, actually. I get nervous. I wanted us to just, everyone to partner up and read, you know, this is all Titus is, and just think, a church is planted because someone goes and teaches about Jesus. And then people start meeting in houses, so they need leaders in houses. And those leaders are very specific. They're not the know-it-alls or the most glitzy or glamour. They're people of integrity and character who have been transformed by grace because they know the message falls apart when the message stops looking like the life of the one who's proclaiming the message. They're called elders. And then those elders are supposed to help train and encourage their little house in the ways of Jesus. And then they're not to be scared or coward about the culture and the evil around them. They're to go into the world and do really good work. Be great at their trade. This is just Titus in a nutshell. This is me in a nutshell. No. Um, and then he says, oh, the gospel has implications for every part of your life. So here's how marriages should work. Old guys, young guys, old women, young women, married, single. This is what the gospel means for your life because all of it's part of the message. And then back to what Jesus has done go on, get out there and do good stuff. That's Titus. I mean, in a nutshell. He saves us, not because of anything we've done, but because of his mercy. But his grace is wanting to form us in the waiting to become those people that when they see brokenness, they give themselves over, first of all, to God in prayer and worship. But then they say, like Isaiah, after they realize that Apart from grace, they're a part of the system of darkness and deterioration. But when his cleansing comes, they say, here am I, send me. I'll do whatever you want. I'll go where you say. I'll give myself to what you're about in the world, God. This is his intention. I love it in Titus 3.14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. That was number seven of this little page letter. Do good stuff. What else is in, included in good? Come on, don't be shy. I wanted to have a whiteboard up here. I didn't get it in time. Shout it out. What's good? Serve others. Study. Listening ear. How about 
being compassionate, right? Lifting up and inviting the lonely in, amen? Encouraging people. Being about causes and issues of justice and righteousness, amen? Our church is, real, I think, decently good at that. Making space for those that don't find space at other tables. Did you know that's what it means to be a Christian? You and I welcome to the table of the Lord, not because we earned it. We turn around and let that same grace work out in that, hey, all who want to come, come. There's room at the table. I know where the bread's at. Goodness. Good works. Lastly, everyone said amen. I want to add one small dynamic to doing good, and then we're done. Peter, who was another Jesus guy, he went to people that he wasn't supposed to go to according to his laws and customs. The other people. Does everyone know what I mean by those outsiders? Those that you're not supposed to associate with and supposed to keep at arm's distance. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? So Peter goes to those people, and he announces the good news of Jesus, because it's the offering of salvation for who? All people. And after he talks about Jesus and what God did through him, he says this as a great summary of Jesus' whole ministry. God anointed or put his seal of power in favor and ownership on Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Come on, somebody. And how he went around doing good. So we could say all of Jesus' life is an example. If you're trying to reach what is doing good, look at Jesus. He went around doing good and, someone say and, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So I might add, the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the grave is in you. Do we believe it? I'm not allowed to believe certain parts of the gospel, not the other. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That Jesus said, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He must have meant that every single thing I modeled and demonstrated, I did it so you'd know what to do. What does it mean to be saved for good work? It means going around, realizing that you have been filled and anointed with God's Holy Spirit and power. You can let God's healing, love, and presence flow through you to those around you so desperate for Him. Does anyone have someone in their life that needs to know that they are loved and wanted by God? Raise your hand. Does anyone here have someone who knows someone in a situation that's all bent out of shape because of sin, but God can make it right again? Does anyone here know anyone who is struggling from from mental illness or isolation, and they need to know that they don't have to struggle alone. They can 
struggle with us until God and His mercy and grace and whatever means of redemption and putting us back together, He's made available. Does anyone know like that? Anyone like that? Like, man, I know someone like that. Guys, these are the things of what it means to be a part of doing good stuff. God's healing presence, God's kindness, God's love and power in us and through us. The blessed hope. You know why I think it's blessed? And why hope is so important? Thank you for asking. <laughs> Biblical hope keeps us grounded firmly in humble reliance upon God for everything. It keeps us in that place between if I'm really supposed to be an instrument of righteousness and to do good stuff and to help be a part of rebuilding ruined cities and families and starting with myself, if I'm supposed to be a part of that, then there's just too many broken things. But hope anchored in Jesus keeps us, it saves us from, I'm, I wrote it in my notes, what's the word? Uh, being overwhelmed, dejected, depressed, how many know when the problem gets bigger than the solution, you've got a problem with your solution? Yeah. I'll preach. <laughs> Hope keeps us in that sweet place of humble reliance and eager expectation. Humble reliance and eager expectation. It saves us from being derailed because there's too many broken things, too much sin, too many kids, too many old people, too many young people. Ah, there's so much to do! But hope that's anchored in the God who what he did through the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, he will complete at the return of Christ. And in the meantime, I'm waiting, I'm worshiping, I'm being formed into a kind of person through whom God can put broken things back together in. Agents of redemptive love, service, and healing, and hope. Biblical hope keeps us grounded right there. How many need to hear that good news today? That good news that, God, I want your heart. I want to be about what you're about. God, I want you. And right in that sweet space of humble reliance and eager expectancy. That's where he's called us to live in the season of Advent. Can you stand up on your feet with me? I really hope you will read Titus when you go home or even all week and just reflect on the simplicity and beauty. <laughs> I love simple. I forgot whoever said it. Keep it simple, stupid. I didn't say it. I just said it right now. I just love being a friend that just reminds us every week what it's about. At one time, you too were foolish, 
disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice, we were bent on evil, and we envied. We envied those we wanted evil to come to, so we were jacked up. Being hated and hating each other. Praise God. But, come on somebody. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through washing of rebirth, renewal by the Holy Spirit, who He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified, made right with God by His grace, we would become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Yippee. I think seven times, Paul, or five times, this is a trustworthy saying. How many believe that's a trustworthy saying? And then here's how he ends, that great exposition of what's out. There's six parts of salvation. That's another sermon. I want you to stress these things. Okay, got it. So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. <laughs> these are things that are excellent and profitable for everyone. Who wants to be a part of the excellent and the profitable for everyone? Yeah. Not a bad day. We give ourselves over to him. Jesus, we surrender. Save us. Wash us. Renew us. Justify us. We were foolish, disobedient, enslaved, and deceived. We hated, we were envious, we were insecure, we were searching for every which way for identity. But your kindness and love showed up and saved us. Thank you, God, for showing up in our mess. Thank you that we could never climb our way out, but you came all the way down to us to save us in our helpless and hopeless state. And your grace doesn't leave us in that mess. You're transforming us as we wait for the blessed hope that the work Jesus began and he continues through his church who is filled and empowered by the Spirit. He will come again and complete the, the project of new creation, new heavens and a new earth and a redeemed people. Lord, we anticipate right here, right now. Lord, and when I looked around as I was preaching, I saw the whole bunch of people who were out there doing the stuff, living as instruments, doing good stuff. Lord, they may never get a newspaper article. They may never get an interview on a major network television show. But Lord, you see every single yes in their heart toward you. You see every cup of cold water. You see every phone call, every letter written. Every time when their corner could be cut, they go around the corner to honor the one who sees their hearts. Lord, thank you for a church given over toward doing what is good, what is righteous and true. God, we do all of this because of God's empowering presence. Lord, we want to be a church that's about excellence and profitability for all. And we do that by letting grace have its way. Ha! You form us and transform us today. And God, as you send us from this place, I pray that we would have eyes to see all of the ways you're saying, I want to I use you here. This relationship, this phone call, this act of compassion, this sacrifice. I want to use you to restore and rebuild 
this is a good idea. God, we submit to your ideas, to your scripture, to the spirit. And I pray, Lord, over our family, our spiritual family, the anointing that God the Father anointed Jesus of Nazareth with, that that anointing would fall upon our people, that we would give ourselves to doing good and being vessels where healing, love, and presence can flow. Man, that'd be a pretty good day. God, we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just want you guys to know I love you so much. And here's the benediction. And I got three, don't leave. Ushers, lock the doors. As Pastor Ron used to say, my mentor and spiritual father, one of them. Ushers, lock the doors. That's what he used to say all the time. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Right here, 21 of Hebrews 13. May he equip you with everything good. Say that with me. Everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever. And ever, 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 and ever. Amen.